Welcome to Crime on Caffeine. I'm your host, Erica. And I'm your host, Allison. Thank you so much for listening. Today, we be sipping on just one of our favorites. It's called Thank the Goat. It's the dark roast. I love it. I keep it in my house pretty much at all times. Thank you, goat. Thank you, goat. Thank you for the delicious coffee. Speaking of coffee, we just want to give a shout out to Shayna for buying us some coffees. We love you. And yes, our best girl, Shayna, bought us five coffees and I wanted to lay cry. Yeah, and you should definitely come come on an episode, Shayna. Yeah, if you're listening, come to my house currently. Right now while we're recording. <laughs> right now. If you can hear this. <laughs> if you <laughs> If you're reading this, it's too late. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you guys want to go buy us a coffee, head over to our website and it'll pop up. Our website is crimeoncaffeine.com or you can just go to buymeacoffee.com slash crimeoncaffeine. And we have the link in our Instagram bios, so check it out. Yeah, we actually have a link tree on our Instagram. So if you're on Instagram and you're just on our page and you want to go listen to us anywhere, you can just go ahead and click that link tree and it'll take you to all of our streaming platforms and our website and everything else that's good in the world. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the world. Oh my gosh. Wow. Look at these segues. Wow. Speaking of the world, we just wanted to give another shout out to all of our listeners outside of the United States. I was so shocked to hear that we have listeners in like the UK, Australia, Malaysia, Canada, Israel, Germany, all the places. Like, hello. Thank you so much for listening. We love you guys. I only know how to say thank you in one other language. Actually, two other languages. And one of them is Korean. So, Kamsahamida. Oh my God. I'm so excited to do today's case. I'm really excited too. Honestly, Before looking into it, I didn't know how brutal Mm -hmm. it was. Um, So I will give a good old trigger warning that this case does have just real nasty violence. Oh, I had another another update I totally forgot to say. Yes, update them. So I don't know if you guys heard, but we have some true crime news. If you guys remember the Slenderman stabbing case, this case took place in, I want to say, 2014. So it was a girl and her friend. They were 12 years old and one girl had some problems. She, They were like obsessed with Slenderman. I don't know why. They said that they needed to kill someone to show their devotion to Slenderman, like all this stuff. And so... They lured their friend into the woods and they stabbed her a ton of times, like 19 times, and she almost died, but she didn't. So they got charged with like attempted homicide and things like that. The one girl, her name is Anissa. Um, she was sentenced to 25 years at a mental health institute in 2017, but she argued that she's no longer a threat to anyone. So on Thursday, the July 1st, the judge in Wisconsin ordered her release. She'd only been there for three and a half years, but she said that she's no longer a threat to anyone, which I thought was insane because if you haven't heard this case, I don't agree with this whatsoever. I know. Definitely listen to this case. Um, we can cover it if you guys are interested. We'd yeah, we can take a poll or something. Yeah. We'll take a poll. Just crazy. So she's going to be out. I don't think it's like immediate. I think they have to do like a bunch of stuff and then she's under a lot of rules or whatever, but still. Speaking of people getting 
starting out, I actually wanted to do this case because one of the killers in this case is looking to get freed after more than 25 years in jail. So if you haven't figured it out by now, I'm going to be covering the case of Elise Poller. Elise Poller, a 15-year-old high school freshman, disappeared from her family's house in Arroyo Grande on July 22, 1995. While she was missing, law enforcement and the Poller family pursued a bunch of leads across the country, but the events that occurred that night are beyond imaginable. That evening, July 22nd, Elise was at home watching TV with her family when she got a call from a friend. It was some of the boys that she knew from riding with them on the same school bus. They were promising her a good hangout with some drugs. I'm in. Just a good old hangout with some drugs. Kidding. These boys were Jacob Delashmut, who was 16, Joseph Fiorella, who was 15, and Royce Casey, who was 17. She had met Jacob at Mariposa Community Recovery Center not too long before. Obviously, they were both getting treated for drug and alcohol usage. Jacob Delashmut, Joseph Fiorella, and Elise all attended the same high school, Arroyo Grand, Grand, Grande? Grand, Grand, Grande, Grande High School. Delashmut was expelled from school in September. Fiorella left in February to be homeschooled and Royce Casey attended a nearby school. So he did not go to school with them. He was just the friend of the two boys that she went to school with. So that night they promised her drugs, marijuana specifically. So they all met up at Eucalyptus Grove on the (gasps) Nippon. Jesus. Scared the crap out. Yeah, what? They all met up at the Eucalyptus Grove on the Nipoma Mesa. So I'm going to get into the murder now in case anybody is a little squeamish. Now is that time to maybe mute. Yeah, just <laughs> mute for, for, for a second or two. Jacob Delashmut was the first person to attack Elise. He removed his belt from his waist Mm. and wrapped it around her neck. Royce Casey was the one who held her down as Jacob Fiorella pulled a hunting knife from out of his pocket and plunged it into her neck. Elise prayed and cried for her mother to help her as the boys continued stabbing her. They started stomping on her neck, trying to end her life quicker, but she was stabbed in the neck 12 times. What's even worse is that none of those stab wounds were determined to be fatal which means Elise was forced to slowly and painfully bleed out. Literally, it makes me throw up. Just like, oh my God, your neck? Yeah, 12 times in the neck, and none of them were fatal. Oh my God. The boys had attempted to kill Elise one other time, actually. They asked her to go for a walk with them. They led her to like a really steep ravine on the mesa, and one of them pretended to slip down and tried to get Elise to come down and help him. Fiorella then pulled out a knife, throwing it to the other boy, and then Delashmut kept saying, do it, do it, but the other boy holding the knife froze and didn't attack her. Why were they so adamant on killing this girl? Oh, I'll get into that. (laughs) Elise apparently thought it was a joke. She didn't report it to anybody. She trusted them, and she went out with them again that night, the night she was murdered. Oh, I hate this part. I really don't want to read it. Uh-huh. That wasn't the worst. I mean, yeah, but after killing Elise and leaving her body there, the three of them would often return and continue having sex with her corpse. Uh, no, 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 I forgot about that. No, no, no. 
they bragged about it to their friends, not only that they killed her, but that they would go back and perform, you know, necrophilia to her corpse. What friends would be like, oh, dude, that's sick. Haha, <laughs> you're the man. Well, the like, friends, what? The friends came forward, like, later on and said they thought they were literally joking. They, were, oh. we, they said we never took them seriously. Fiorella even told his mother. What? Yeah. What? 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 Yeah. He told his mother that he killed this girl and had sex with her dead body. Apparently. They continued doing this all while Elisa's family and friends were searching for her for eight months. Oh, my God. In March of 1996, Royce Casey actually switched from being a Satanist to a Christian. So that's what originally brought him forward to authorities to let them know what they had done. But apparently another driving factor for him going to the police was that he started to fear for his own life. He said that the other two told him, quote, she wouldn't be the only one. There would be others. And he felt like they meant him. So he led officials to her remains in Nipoma Mesa Eucalyptus Grove, which was only a quarter mile from her house. Can you believe that? And they were looking for eight months and they didn't find her. Right? That's insane. As you can imagine, Casey, Delashmut, and Fiorella were all charged with seven counts, including murder, conspiracy to commit murder, conspiracy to commit rape and kidnapping, and then they added in special enhancements for torture and rape, but officials were unable to determine whether she was sexually assaulted due to the composition of her remains. Royce said that himself, Fiorella, and Delashmut all plotted the murder beforehand for like about a month. They they would talk about it all the time while they played death metal music. They had a band together called Hatred, which was styled after a group called Slayer. Which oh was, my gosh, yeah. yeah. And that is where all of this kind of takes a turn because Slayer has a lot to do with the case, which I'm about to get into, but I just... Slayer is a big situation. Their albums featured lyrics about the devil and sacrificing victims. So when the boys were taken into custody and asked about the reasoning behind the murder, you are about to, <laughs> you are about to lose your mind. Oh they said, this is literally a quote, it was to receive power from the devil to help them play guitar better. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding. By making this perfect sacrifice to the devil, they would gain more craziness or nuts that would make them play harder and faster. And by making this perfect sacrifice the devil to the devil, it might help them go, quote, professional. Or they could just take a, take a class. <laughs> Oh, no. The devil was going to help their skills, and they were going to become a famous band because they sacrificed a virgin. How did they put these things together? I have no idea, but Royce Casey even wrote in his journal about how Satan had risen and was going to like reign. Yeah, (laughs) he has risen, and he was going to reign over all. He believed that serial killers would make the devil happy, and... 
They could appease him more by erecting temples. He said, killers should sacrifice virgin meat to their dark lord. He wrote about how he enjoyed going back to the eucalyptus grove and admiring their evidence of spiritual supremacy. So not only did they go back and, you know, mutilate her body, but they went back because they were admiring what they did. Freaks. I do not want these people getting out of jail. Prison. Again, from his journal, about three months after the murder, he wrote, I'm fighting on the other side now, allied with the darkened souls. Satan's raised and shall conquer and reign. In the Bible, it says that in the end, Lucifer will bring out his best in everything. Music, love, murder. All the psycho serial killers and rapists don't know if they would build an altar of sacrifice and kill the person on the altar and then have repeated sex with the corpse. Virgin meat is the ultimate sacrifice. I really don't like the term virgin meat. I don't either. Anyway, (laughs) those were like his actual words in his journal. And that was only three months after. So they still went back for five more months before he somehow went from this extreme version of Satanism to Christianity. I don't know where in between he, you know, flipped a switch and was like, you know, maybe what I did wasn't so good. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Really had him thinking. In November of 1996, Elise, who was the oldest of four children, the family said in Elise's obituary that she loved God, his beautiful world, and loved her friends and large family. Elise's mom, Lizanne, said the worst part was thinking about the torture her daughter had endured. Oh, my God. And the fact that she was, like, calling out for her mom. Yeah, when I heard that, I almost physically became sick. While she cried and prayed, they just, like, stomped on her instead of, like, having any remorse. Elise's mom also told KNBC TV that something is wrenched from you, a piece of your heart. That's what it feels like. The pain is too great. It's as great as any physical pain, anything you could imagine. So the family was really suffering from the loss of their daughter, sister, and they actually filed a lawsuit against the heavy metal band Slayer (laughs) saying that the band's lyrics incited the three teens to murder. So this is where the whole Slayer thing comes into play. The family created the lawsuit to seek monetary damages and have a halt to the practice of marketing violent music towards juveniles. They said that two songs in particular, Postmortem and Dead Skin Mask, gave these three boys the instructions to stalk, rape, torture, murder, and commit acts of necrophilia. Those sound Grammy-worthy. Grammy worthy. Yeah. The case was actually thrown out because the judge said there's no legal position that could be taken that would make Slayer responsible for the girl's death. The judge said, where do you draw the line? You might as well start looking through the library at every book on the shelf. So her parents filed a second lawsuit. This time they filed the lawsuit on the basis that Slayer knowingly distributed harmful material to minors. The record label said they warned the public and the children's parents Because they put one of those stickers on the album, you know, the parental Mm -hmm. advisory. So just like the first case, nothing came of the second case either. Judge E. Jeffrey Burke stated, I do not consider Slayer's music obscene, indecent, or harmful to minors. Paul Bostaff, who's the drummer of the band Slayer, said in an interview with Guitar World magazine, they're trying to blame the whole thing on us. Which I don't think that's fair. Like... Mm -hmm. 
I know that her parents were like so upset, but to say that it was this band's fault, they have no idea who Elise is. It's not like they were saying, hey, you three boys need to commit this murder. Right. No, I totally agree. Like this band has no idea who these three boys even are. And there's so much music out there that says like wild shit. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Jacob DeLashmont himself actually stated in a Washington Post interview that the music is destructive, but that's not why Elise was murdered. Mm -hmm. She was murdered because Joe Fiorella was obsessed with her and obsessed with killing her. So they're saying that this was Joseph Fiorella's idea. In February of 1997, Doug Odom, the district attorney's office chief investigator, testified at the preliminary... Why can't I talk? Testified at the preliminary hearing that Casey told him the trio plotted to kill Pauler because, quote, here's your reasoning that you were looking for. She had blonde hair and blue eyes, and because she was a virgin, she would be perfect to sacrifice to the devil. The next month, Joseph Fiorella is sentenced by Supreme Court Judge Christopher G. Money didn't we just talk about We just one? talked about it. Oh, my God. I did not even put that together. Money, money. Christopher G. Money. He yeah. out here putting all these bitches in jail. <laughs> okay, Christopher G. Money. He sentenced Fiorella to 26 years to life in prison as part of an agreement in which prosecutors dismissed other charges, including rape, in exchange for Fiorella's guilty plea to first-degree murder. Nice. <laughs> Nice. (laughs) Good work, boys. (laughs) All right. So David Poller, Elise's father, said at the hearing, Joseph, it's a parent's worst fear and lifetime pain to outlive their child. It's even worse knowing that she was murdered, tortured, and raped as a virgin sacrificed on an altar of Satan so that you can earn a ticket to hell. And death on facts. Facts. (laughs) A probation report published in the Telegram Tribune showed that Fiorella denied Casey's version of the events and admitted to being the first person to stab her. After Fiorella said that he was the first person to stab her, he also said that he wished that it never happened. Since it happened, he wished that God can bring her back to life. And then he said, I can imagine how her family must feel. Can you? Then why'd you stab her in the neck 12 times, sir? Later, he reportedly said he never thought of hurting anyone. It was a stupid mistake. Um, Then why'd you plan her murder for a month? You never thought of hurting anyone? That's not a stupid mistake. A stupid mistake is like... Accidentally hitting somebody with your car. That's a stupid mistake. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Still a little bit further than I was going to go, but... But still, that would be a mistake. Yeah, definitely. Like an oops. This person, like, they plotted her murder for a month and then went back for eight months after they did it and did some things. That's not a mistake. You're consciously doing these things. Yeah, I don't care what you say, Joseph Fiorella. In September of 1997, Royce Casey avoided a life sentence without parole by pleading no contest to first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to 25 years to life he would have to serve at least a minimum of 21 of those years. The next month, Delashmont pleaded no contest to first-degree murder and a deal similar. He was sentenced to 26 years to life, which I'm so confused why some of them are 26 and one's 25. Joseph Fiorella had 26 to life and so did Delashmont, but Royce Casey only had 25 to life. 
Again, he was sentenced to 26 years to life, of which he would only have to serve 85% of the term before being eligible for parole. They are all serving their sentences at separate prisons. Good. Yes, Royce Casey is at R.J. Donovan Correctional Facility in San Diego. Joseph Fiorella is at High Desert State Prison in Susanville. And Delashmutt is at Correctional Training Facility in Soldan. Now we are in July of 2016. Royce Casey had his first parole suitability hearing, and he was denied parole for five years, which that's okay. Honestly, I wouldn't let him in, out either. In December of 2017, Jacob Delashmutt was denied parole for seven years at a parole suitability hearing, but he was scheduled to have another one in December of 2024. So look out for him, December 2024, when his second suitability hearing is. I'm not so sure if he'll get out or not, but he was denied for seven years at the last one. And then October of 2018, Joseph Fiorella filed a habeas corpus petition challenging his continued incarceration. He argued that his trial attorney did not challenge his mental fitness to stand trial for the murder in 1995. Like, you good? Joseph? Like, that made me mad. Anyway, we're going to move on. In July of 2019, Royce Casey waived his next parole suitability hearing, and his parole was denied for (coughs) three years. You good? Drink some coffee. I don't know the Heimlich. I can't help you. I'm good. Thank dog. Thank thank the goat. Thank the goat. Oh, my God. Thank you. Not only do they have great coffee, they save (laughs) lives. The next month, Joseph Fiorella waived his right to a parole suitability hearing for two years. You know how you asked about that habeas corpus petition? Yeah. I got an answer for you. In December of that year, Casey and Delashma testified at the request of the San Luis Obsipo County District Attorney's Office in the habeas corpus petition case brought by Joseph Fiorella. They said that Joseph did understand the nature of the crime at the time. So Joseph Fiorella's challenge is currently under submission by the superior court judge. So his friends ratted him out. They said... He knew what the heck he was doing. Yeah. Don't listen to him. He was not insane. He knew damn well what he did. Mm -hmm. In March, Royce Casey was granted parole by two California parole board commissioners. During the hearing, they found that Casey has a nearly 20-year record of being a model prisoner. And he participated in a series of rehabilitative programs. He served as a mentor. He earned his GED, and he was working on a specialized bachelor's degree in psychology and sociology. He says that if released, he plans to move to Los Angeles to find work as a substance abuse counselor. The commissioner, Diane Dobbs, said, We find that the person who committed that crime and the person who sits before us today are two different people. It's just wild to me. I don't really get how it works in people's brains, obviously, because I I don't have that brain. (laughs) Obviously, um, because I don't have a brain. I, I, I have a brain. I just don't have that brain. How do you go from brutally murdering somebody to, like, being a model prisoner and I don't know. changing? I don't know. I, I guess I would have to, like, sit down with someone who did those kinds of things and 
listen to their side of the story, you know, like why, how they somehow switched peoples. In June, the San Luis Obispo County, I have such a hard time saying that, San Luis Obispo County District Attorney Dan Dow wrote a letter opposing Casey's release. So not everybody wants him to get out. He wrote... Royce Casey has never adequately explained why he participated in such a sadistic and heinous crime. He argued that the parole panel basically disregarded and gave inadequate weight to the horrific crime this inmate committed and looked instead at Casey's behavior in prison. In fact, there was little discussion of his crime in March of 2021. These commissioners did not correctly follow the law. Attorney Charles Carbone told commissioners, this will go down in California's history, if it hasn't already, as unmistakably one of the worst crimes that has ever been perpetrated, and there's stiff competition for it. And he ain't wrong. Elise's father, David, told the Tribune that Royce Casey is suitable for parole and he does not believe he is a risk to public safety. He said he and his son placed their faith in the parole board's commissioners. So not only is the commissioner saying that he can get out, Elise's own father is saying that he believes he's suitable for parole. I know. If the board's legal team does not find any issues with the panel's decision, the March ruling will be final in 120 days. So as I said at the beginning of this, that somebody was going to, you know, maybe get out soon. Now, you know, that is Royce Casey. He is eligible and he could possibly get out very soon because that was reached in March. So June, July, he might get out this month. Oh, good. If the board's legal team doesn't find any issues with it, then it will go to the desk of the governor, Gavin Newsom. So as we're going through this case, but I don't know if you people listening have made any connections to a popular film. No, yes, yes, no. If you haven't already seen Megan Fox in the movie Jennifer's Body, you might not know that this case has an oddly similar plot line. (laughs) Jennifer's Body is about a high schooler named Jennifer Chuck, who is played by Megan Fox, who becomes possessed by a powerful demon after a rock band tries and fails to sacrifice her to Satan. Jennifer then begins to prey on her male classmates while her former best friend, who is played by Amanda Seyfried, tries to stop her rampage of killing men. People who haven't heard of Elise Poller said that the fictional plot of Jennifer's body may seem almost impossible in reality. But little did they know that it was actually based off of the murder of Elise Poller. So there's a little, I don't even want to say like fun fact, because it's like kind of terrible. But it is, I guess, a fun fact about the movie. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't already, go check out Jennifer's body and make the connection for yourself. Now that you know about Elise's murder and the case, I will get into a little bit of a profile. I'm going to start with necrophilia since it is involved. According to Psychology Today, a growl in 2009 proposed that there are 10 different types of necrophilia. He said that there are categories that are sensitive to the intentions or motives of a necrophile and range from those who receive pleasure from being near a dead body Not necessarily sexual, but like, for example, the mummification or preservation of the deceased. And then there are ones that 
are aroused by touching the dead body to those who exclusively require sex with the dead. All disgusting. All terrible. All make me want to throw up. This might come as a surprise, but necrophilia is not associated with any one mental illness or disorder. However, it is known that some necrophiles had previously been diagnosed with conduct disorder and antisocial personality disorder, which is not very shocking at all. No. Necrophiles with the diagnostic history have increased likelihood to commit homicide before carrying out necrophilia acts, simply because diminished empathy and antisocial personality behavior are characteristics of these disorders. It's also said that... Some people who have committed necrophilia have suffered from depression and schizophrenia in the form of, you you know, these words. What? <laughs> Anthropopathy and vampirism. Hey. Hey. Vampirism. Shout out Vampire Diaries. This is, this is something I didn't know. Okay. So necrophilia has a heavy focus on smell of a dead body. Ew. I know. I'm so sorry. But I this is really... Intriguing to my brain. I did not know this. So there's a heavy focus on smell of a dead body. Um, psychologists Cummings, Matthews, and Park found that individuals with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder were less able to correctly identify odors using a test called UPSIT, U-P-E-S-I-T, which involves matching odor to correct things. So I didn't know that schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, they like... Can't smell as good. What? Here did I. It says it. That's so random. It said they were less able to correctly identify the odors. So there are necrophilias that are attracted to the smell. So necrophilia is like a wild... I'm sure there, you could just read a thousand million books on that. See, I hate that. And I, I didn't realize there were all of these like necrophilias, the umbrella, and then there's a bunch of like... I, I just thought oh, it, yeah. was, it was... I didn't know either. It was really interesting to learn that it's not associated with one mental illness. There's like multiple different illnesses that could, you know, go towards necrophilia. And then the smell thing just blew my mind, blew it, my mind blown. Many researchers and authors have different ideas behind necrophilic motivation. And one of the primary reasons given is the need for an unresisting or unrejecting partner, which I think we all are aware of. This reason is worth unpacking as the surface. It seems to indicate a violent offender asserting his will over a victim or abolishing their will completely, if that makes sense. The second thing I kind of wanted to get into, because it is such a large theme in the murder of Elise Pollard, was ritual killing. I got all this information from the encyclopedia. So The encyclopedia? encyclopedia Encyclopedia.com. Okay. That's right. Scholarly. The term religion is used loosely in the context. So it can include belief systems such as Satanism and, again, vampirism. Maybe vampirism is my religion. You're a vampire? No, but it's one. (laughs) You believe in vampires? I don't think that makes you a vampirist. (laughs) I think that just makes you a believer in vampires. Yeah, isn't that religion? Um, I think you would have to like practice believing in vampires. No, I think that you would have to practice some interesting things to be considered a vampirist. 
But you can believe in them. I believe in them. I ain't no vampirist. Yeah, ain't yeah. gonna see me sucking no blood. Ew. Anyway, there may also be cultural, psychological, and psychosexual elements to a ritual murder. Again, according to encyclopedia.com, many ritual killings have involved teenagers drawn into satanic cults. Ding, ding, ding. Often, they act alone or in a small group. Ding, ding, ding. There are others who are committed to the belief system or pretend to be for the purpose of committing the crime. Another case of a killer incorporating some ritual elements is, can you guess? West Memphis 3. No, but I have thought of the West I Memphis was literally 3 just, this whole time. This is like what everybody who thought that they were guilty, like this is what they thought. were picturing happened basically. Yes. Like when it's just was not even I know. Anything. It's so funny. I knew you were going to. I know. I don't. I honestly don't even know what you were gonna say, but I was like, like thinking of it. You can't think you of it. Me. A killer incorporating like Satanism. Um, big just came out on Netflix. Just came out on Netflix. Son of Sam. No. What came out on? I don't know. What the came Night out on Stalker. Richard. Ramirez. Oh, big old Satanist. Even more difficult for forensic psychiatrists that are, you know, going over cases where a murder has been committed by a true believer who considers murder to be a sacred act of sacrifice. These deaths tend to occur outdoors in a designated sacred area or on a sacred significant date. Generally, these acts are blood rituals involving a knife. This was a knife was used in the murder of Elise Pollard. And depending on the belief system involved, the killing may involve a rapid slitting of the throat or be like a slower, more torturous thing. In this case, the blood may be drained from the corpse, which will be an unusual finding at the autopsy. So I thought that that was interesting when I read that, because if you remember, she was stabbed in the throat 12 times, Mm -hmm. but that's not what killed her. She bled out. Yeah. I thought that that was interesting. This also goes just straight with the case. The mutilation, post-mortem, along with sexual abuse, carving symbols into flesh, dismemberment, they're not uncommon in ritual killings. So, again, the reason that they went back committed sexual abuse towards the body. In terms of conventional psychology profiling, the ritualistic aspect of... Killing is sometimes similar in nature to like a serial killer. The theory of psychological profiling has not been developed to distinguish the serial killer from a ritual killer. So basically what the encyclopedia.com is saying is that for a conventional psychologist, it's really hard to differ between the two until, you know, you know more about the case. Mm -hmm. So... Understanding the difference between the two groups is clearly challenging for the forensic psychiatrist but worthwhile in terms of appreciating the context of such brutal murders. So really looking into why these things happened and who the person committing them is and what they believe and why they did such things. But yeah, that is the profile of a necrophiliac and a ritual killer, which these boys were. Again, Royce Casey is like about to be out of jail this month. So I figured this was a good time to bring more light to this case. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope that it was informational for you and maybe a little bit fun with the tidbit about Jennifer's body. 
so you can watch the movie now and like really have Mm -hmm. background of where that came from. Yeah. If I hear anything about the other two, Fiorella and, um, the last month, I'll let you guys know. I'll do like an update. Not a problem. But as of right now, they're chilling in jail. Thank you for listening, guys. So next week, you're going to be hearing an episode from me. It's probably going to be a two-parter. Really? If things get too crazy, it could even end up being a three-parter. You're kidding. No. Oh, my gosh. I'm in the middle of research right now, and I'm reading two books for it, actually, because I really want to... Get up in it. I really want to get up in it. This is for my hometown peeps, my (gasps) Cleveland peeps. This one's you're gonna you're gonna know this case. Shouts out. You're gonna want to listen. Shout out to the burbs of Cleveland. Oh, suburbs of Cleveland. Suburbs of Cleveland. I mean, it happened in Cleveland, so like. Oh my gosh. Shout out to everybody in Ohio. Probably (laughs) knows about this. Um. So yeah, that's what we're gonna be talking about next week so make sure you come make check sure it you out tune in yeah and if you guys want to follow us on all social media it's just crime on caffeine on twitter instagram facebook it's actually crime on caffeine everywhere go to our website crimeoncaffeine.com buy us a coffee buymeacoffee.com slash crime on caffeine <laughs> yeah it's really easy um and if you guys haven't already please head over to apple Podcasts, itunes whatever Go to our podcast on there and go down to the bottom and give us a rating, preferably five stars. If you're feeling real friendly, maybe write a little review, but that helps. I love watching the reviews come in. I cry. That helps tremendously. Like you guys don't even know how much that helps us. So we really appreciate it. We appreciate all of you for listening. I'm so happy that, you know, more people are getting to hear our podcast and it's really fun for us to do the research and see your guys' reaction to all of our episodes. So we're going to continue doing that. Thank you so much for all of your continued support. And yeah, that's all I got. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.